Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. We have to make sure that it gets there with integrity. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. We are very much focused on others just as an industry. This is the Market Scale Pro AV Show, hosted by Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Your weekly B2B kickback for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration. Sound check complete. Let's go. Hello, everyone. It's your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Welcome back to the Pro AV Show. Great to have you all here, and I'm excited for today's episode. We're going to try introducing titles to these now because I feel like just saying episode two isn't really enough to convey the overall theme or feel of what I think this episode is going to be. So the title for this episode is Powerful Connections. And I went this direction because I think in all of our pieces, we're exploring some kind of powerful connection, whether that's a positive one or a negative one, but we're seeing powerful connections between mentors and mentees, between prisoners and courtrooms, between AV networks and boardrooms, etc. And I think this is going to be a more thematic show, a more cohesive show, and I'm excited for this episode. So since last week, we've released some other content. So here's a quick update on MarketScale Pro AV. Obviously, we had episode one of the Pro AV show come out, uh, but other than that, we had an article on how our lab in Brooklyn is becoming the VR capital of the world. A deep dive on that cool new VR lab, so definitely worth a read. And we also had another podcast episode with David Venus, who was on our first episode of the Pro AV show with Ernie Beck discussing the side effects of Pro-AV, but on his separate episode, he's chatting on digital signage in airports and how they can be used to boost revenue, both by making happier flyers and therefore happier shoppers, but also by providing new platforms for airport-based businesses to reach potential customers. So all around some diverse and great content, so make sure you head to marketscale.com slash industries slash Pro-AV for your daily hub on Pro-AV News. So here's what you can look forward to on today's episode of the MarketScale Pro-AV Show. We're obviously doing our industry news, including some analysis on the market for AV links in courtrooms and the added network security that goes into linking a feed from a prison. We're going to get some analysis from Colin Burney of Burney Consulting on that one. We're also going to get an update on the growth of a mentorship program sponsored by WAVE, or Women in AV, in the UK, and how that's really exploding and getting a lot of support. And continuing the discussion on network security, we're also asking the question, why aren't AV networks more secure? And really, why are we still having this conversation? Why is this not a ubiquitous thing, either with manufacturers or providers or even for end users? Definitely a dense show. But to keep things light before we jump into the main content, gotta start with the install of the week. And that install of the week for me was the Howard Hughes Corporation's Pier 17, which is a four-story building with a restaurant, outdoor bars, space for hosting events like concerts and corporate meetings, but it's based in New York. And what really caught my attention on this building was that its two-story atrium space has these amazing ribbon displays that wrap around columns and pillars, and there's also an LED ceiling that comes together for a true dynamic experience. And it's not a particularly innovative 
design. I mean, it's not like we've never seen an LED ceiling before, but I think what really got me excited about this install is that it's totally immersive and it's a cool thing to see that fresh buildings are integrating AV installs into the architecture rather than adding them on later. And I think it really showcases the intersection of AV and construction and design. It's all blurring together. The lines are being crossed, but in a really exciting way. So the install at Pier 17 obviously is going to be used for advertising, but my favorite visuals were when they explored colored patterns and bright blue skies on that LED ceiling or even moving particles, anything that felt abstract and interesting. Um, it was really cool to see. I obviously only saw a YouTube video on it, but if you're in the area, you should definitely head to Pier 17 and check it out for yourself. All right, before we dig into our main content, let's jump into our daily dose of industry news brought to you by MarketScale Pro AV. Let's go. These are your Pro AV News Minutes, brought to you by MarketScale. Today we're going to start with, is data analytics the future of digital signage? Across the country, we're hearing chatter about digital signage data analytics being the future for the signage industry. Even Gary Wicca, head of marketing for LG, says that the company's current digital signage plan is very quote-unquote nuanced, adding that quote, digital signage can be very basic. A restaurant owner who just wants to display this week's specials, for example, they don't need analytics, but are analytics important? Hands down, end quote. Behind the scenes, LG's commitment to digital signage data analytics has been made very clear just in the last few years as they've gained various data-related manufacturing partners. For many years, digital signage and direct view LED in general was primarily used for outdoor displays and billboard type scenarios. However, now we're beginning to see a trend where interactive versions of these displays are making their ways into lobbies, retail spaces, and other indoor environments. An example use case for this new signage can be seen in newer retail kiosks where digital signage also includes a smart camera that can detect gender, age range, and even more to better understand who your content is interacting with. Your next Pro AV News Minute comes from Europe. LED displays penetrate the European airport advertising market. The International Airport Advertising Corporation, or IAAC, has selected the Zagreb Croatia and Budapest Hungary airports as the hosts of the new high-end LED display solutions from Absent. Absent's award-winning N4 indoor screens and XD6 outdoor panels can be found throughout these million passenger hubs. IAAC CEO Michael E. Kyrakides commented that, quote, our long-lasting experience and involvement in the airport advertising area means we've been able to establish strong relationships with a number of trusted suppliers, like Absin. When we were considering the best fit for this project, we met with the Absin Europe team, had the opportunity to test a number of their products, which we were very impressed with, and visited the Absin manufacturing facility in China, which allowed our engineers and IT team to view and select the products that best fit our specific sales model and vision. End quote. The N4 is a product series meant for the retail sector due to its slim and light panel that weighs right under 20 pounds. It has an extra wide viewing angle and offers front access service. On the other hand, the XD6 is an outdoor waterproof model with an HD design with both rear and front maintenance access. Images of the solutions can be found on each of the respective airport websites and I really recommend checking them out because they are so impressive. And your last Pro AV News Minute. Navori and NEC enter Retail Data Analytics Solution Partnership. There's a theme here if you notice. 
In an effort to strengthen the impact of digital signage across the retail market, Navori has announced a new alliance with NEC Display Solutions. Navori's QL Digital Signage Software Solution, which is used worldwide in various retail spaces, will be one of the select few solutions to integrate with the NEC Analytics Learning Platform. The plan is that this partnership will create a, quote, complete real-time content and audience measurement system for retail businesses. Jeffrey Weitzman, Managing Director at Navori, says digital signage is a key element of the broader retail customer experience strategy, and it's intended to engage shoppers and inspire return visits. Working with NEC, we have an opportunity to help our retail clients better understand shopper behavior and unleash new customer experience strategies that improve loyalty and increase in-store sales. End quote. Apart from integrating with Navori's QL solution, NEC also confirmed that their new platform will also feature consulting, software, hardware, cloud computing, customized software development, physical installation, software and hardware integration, content creation capabilities, 24-7 on-site service and maintenance, and managed services support. That was a very long list of stuff. But that wraps it up. I'm Elmer Guardado, and these have been your Market Scale Pro AV News Minutes. Hello, everyone. I'm Sam Kingmo with Market Scale Pro AV. Around the world, we've seen a rise in prison and courtrooms using AV to help conduct court proceedings of all kinds. This was broken down in an AV Links audio piece, and here to give some market and technology insight is Colin Burney of Burney Consulting. Now let's dive in by asking, what's the market like for these pro AV providers? I think there's currently a huge opportunity. More, more prisons, more courtrooms are looking for these kind of systems you know and a lot of it has to do with uh, time and cost savings so there's a huge opportunity right now to uh, to be selling selling this kind of technology do you think that's because it costs so much to get a prisoner from a prison to a courtroom and all the the gas and transportation costs that that would require that it's sort of like an investment to get one or a few of these pro ev systems yes definitely there's there's that portion of it, and then the other part of it is for visitation. There's an increase in video link visitation as well, so families and friends of inmates are able to connect via video rather than in-person meetings. Now, are there any specifications for AV links in the courtroom setting that are unique compared to other live feed services? A lot of that has to do with the physical security. So the physical spaces themselves, especially in prisons, are built to be more tamper-proof. So there is there are some special specifications that have to be met in order to put them in in that case. Could you kind of elaborate on what some of those specifications are? Yes. Yeah, a lot of it is making sure that everything is behind glass, that it's tamper-proof, that inmates can't mess with the system. So you're having to ensure a high-quality AV experience while also protecting the equipment itself just because of the environment that it's in. Uh, in the courtroom side of things, it's fairly standard. You know, AV in and out, there's not a lot that changes from an integration side of things. Um, and when you're dealing with inmate visits as well, there are other specifications for making sure that it's, you know, face-to-face -face contact and that, um, you know, video cameras can't be moved and things like that. What are the, if any, downsides to using AV links when compared to other live feed services? I don't think there's any any real particular downside i think really your the quality of your network is going to be 
the biggest issue. Uh, you know, in the U.S., there are specific companies that are used to do video links in places like Australia. They're using Cisco solutions instead. So it really depends on on the situation. But like in all cases, these systems are very bandwidth intensive, and they require a lot of uh, a lot of high quality infrastructure in order to make sure that there's no quality problems on the link. And on the flip side of that, what are the upsides to using AV links compared to, you know, say a service like Skype or something? I think that they're they're definitely a little bit more stable. There's there's a bit of a dedicated path and uh, dedicated method for connecting. Uh, services like Skype are adaptive to network situations, but they can also be susceptible to you know, to, to the path that they take, especially with a lot of services going to a cloud-based service, you end up having that path that has to go to the internet, the internet back down, and there's a lot of dependencies in place as opposed to having sort of a metro area network. Now, what are some of the safety or security issues that come into play with an AV network for a court in prison? Obviously, they're dealing with a lot of sensitive information and ensuring that there's encrypted audio and video is a must uh on the prison side of things they do have the ability to monitor so those tools have to be locked down in a way that only authorized users have access to them and that there's no possibility for external tampering or viewing or, or getting into those systems and do the pro a provide uh pro av providers for services like av links have these sort of encryption algorithms or in encryption elements sort of embedded into these kinds of services for that very reason? Yeah. And it really comes down to the vendor, you know, as, as an, if you're an integrator reselling these services, a lot of trust is put into the vendors that they've done the appropriate legwork, you know, and this is, this is true for most video services today. I don't, when I'm working with customers, I don't typically put in, video services without seeing proof of, you know, physical data center security and, uh, you know, security write-ups and things like that. You know, you have to make sure that that industry standards are being followed before you put in someone's product. You know, there's a lot of products that are small and it's a costly thing to be certified by a third party to be secure, but that's, that's what you have to look for. Now, where is this kind of technology being used outside of the courtroom? These kind of links are useful for, you know, those customer link situations. I think that the technology that's being used in in prison systems in the U.S. is kind of unique right now. Uh, I, there's not a lot that's going on within the U.S. In other countries, because they're using more commercial type services like uh, Cisco and others, obviously that technology is being used pretty much everywhere at this point. And do you see AV links and services like it being used for nearly all court proceedings in the near to far future? That's kind of up for debate. Um, I think that for a lot of proceedings, yes. I think that, you know, obviously being being in this industry and being a big uh, advocate for video conferencing over travel, I, I think that you get a lot from from that face-to-face -face and be able to see what's going on. I think that it's it's a really useful tool for uh, taking out a lot of the, 
you know, a lot of the day-to-day -day operations of courtrooms, but I think that there's still going to be the place for people to appear in person because there, there still are certain aspects that you can't replace with an AV experience. Again, that was Sam Kingma with MarketScale Pro AV giving us some great news analysis. Now on to our first feature of the show. Today, EngageWorks partnered with Wave UK, Women in AV, to deliver an event highlighting the growth of the group's mentorship program. The program, which was launched in July of 2018, hopes to pair women in the industry from young career starters to seasoned AV veterans with mentors to guide, educate, and grow alongside them. Today's event was an act of solidarity, reflecting not only the industry's support of the mentorship program, but the desire to get the message to as many women as possible, eager to find a more confident place in Pro-AV. In this feature, we sat down with Jennifer Willard, founder of Wave, and Abigail Brown, founder of Wave UK. Willard gives us some background on the event and the catalyst for starting the program, but more importantly gives insight into the state of Pro-AV abroad and why Brown has been such a crucial leader for Wave UK. Brown has grown her local community into the most successful international Wave presence, and she explains on the podcast the unique challenges for AV women in the UK, as well as the positive strides that are linking professionals in the industry. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you? Wonderful. Great to have you back on. Always enjoy chatting with you and getting some status updates on WAVE. And today, specifically, we're going to be talking about a mentorship program that's starting up in the UK, which is really exciting. I'm sure you are definitely feeling the energy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was launched um, at, in July at our Summer Spectacular event. Um, and we're actually gone through a lot of the stages of, of the process. Um, what's going to be going on today in the UK is they're going to be having uh, their first event um, to really sort of make sure that we're getting the word out, that people are coming together and having an opportunity to learn more, to discuss their challenges and, you know, really take that next step. And so we're going to be hearing from Abigail Brown here in a little bit, who's going to tell us more about the event and what's getting her excited about it and then also giving us sort of a status update of women in AV in general. So Jennifer, why don't you tell me a bit of the backstory of how you went about helping create a WAVE organization in the UK after you founded it in the States in 2011? Right. So, you know, we founded it in 2011 and you know, clearly one of the challenges that we have as an organization and industry, generally speaking, uh, for especially with women in a male-dominated industry, is our uh, geographical uh, limitations. So, you know, we started out doing um, webinars, which was great things. We had our LinkedIn, you know, opportunity to sort of come together. But we really wanted to, you know, sort of expand out and you know, find opportunities for women to be able to get together at the local level. So what I had done uh, with Teresa Hahn out of uh, Verix, we had you know gone to Infocom, I believe it was 2013, and you know really made a push for trying to see if women wanted to 
get their um, own local chapter started. Um, and through that, um, you know, Abigail um, came on board and has really just volunteered to be that leader and built the UK presence that we have to one of our most successful um, international uh, presence for our organization worldwide. Well, I'm excited to hear from her and get her take on why she's so excited about this mentorship program event and what she's looking forward to and also a status update on some challenges in the industry in the UK. So let's go ahead and hear from her. Thanks for your insight on this, Jennifer. And now let's transition over to Abby. All right, Abby, great to have you calling in. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, thank you. It's great to have you on, and I'm excited to get your take on this Engage Works and Wave event that's occurring on November 8th. Uh, why don't you give me basically just a rundown of what the event is going to be and why it's important for the women in AV community in the UK? Sure, absolutely. So earlier this year in the summer, we basically launched our plan to run this mentoring program for the AV community. Um, and again, we didn't quite know how the AV world would take it. Um, but over the last couple of months, we've been absolutely in awe of the organizations that have backed this and supported this. So it's very, very exciting. At the last count, I believe we have just over 10 sponsors, which is incredible. Um, and so basically, at the current time, we are accepting applications. We've already seen just over 10 come in. So we're hoping to see just a few more before the deadline. And in the interim, we decided to run this event uh, this Thursday, the 8th, basically to um, encourage people, if they haven't, if they're a bit nervous about signing up or they're not quite sure what it's all about, we just wanted to have an event that they could come to that would showcase the real benefits of signing up. Um, and hopefully, of course, we'll have some sponsor, you know, some sponsors in attendance as well, which will be great. So equally, we just want to make sure that people are aware of what's happening, why we're doing it, the current status of it. And again, as I said, encourage those last minute applications to come in. Well, I think it's really exciting that the entire women in AV organization, whether in the States or abroad, is looking towards mentoring and creating that authentic relationship between people that are already in the industry and young women, or they don't even have to be young women, just women in general that are interested in joining exactly. the industry. Exactly. We are open. We are open to helping women at whatever stage they might be at. Um, and I think what's great is that we are, of course, looking for mentors. So we're, we're open, as, as you well know, women in AV, we pride ourselves on the fact that we're extremely inclusive and collaborative. So we're very open to having both male and female mentors sort of join the program. So these are people with, with um, specific experience and sort of years of industry background. They're quite credible, all of that. And then the mentees themselves, these people that will be signing up, of course, they could be very early in their careers. They could be quite late in their careers or maybe wanting to take a another direction and in essence what we're trying to offer them is an opportunity to reap the benefits of working with a dedicated mentor and actually building up incredible opportunities for them perhaps building a case for them if they if they want to talk to their current employer about changing direction or getting more involved in certain things so basically the program is designed to really encourage them there'll be lots of training and of course most importantly they'll be accessing industry events and things that perhaps they wouldn't otherwise have access to or exposure to, if that makes sense. 
So we're really excited about it. Definitely. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to understand the context uh, or the state of women in AV, not the organization, but just in general in Mm. the UK. Um, You know, Jennifer and I had a separate podcast where we discussed basically a state of the union for the challenges and the positive strides for women in the industry Mm. in the United States. So give me a quick rundown on that. You know, what what has the industry been like for women in the UK since you founded Wave in 2014, what sure, challenges sure, are you still seeing yeah. and um, what have you seen grow and become you know, a positive change? Well, what's been exciting for me, first of all, is the growth of the women in AV in terms of the interest that it's generated. So when I took, when I took it on back in 2014, the meetings were very few and far between, and they would only really generate quite small numbers in terms of in terms of um, attendance. Right. So basically, over the last four years, just through consistent sort of efforts, um, my relationships with certain key companies who, who who would offer their venue or basically sponsor our events, through all of those efforts, our numbers have increased, you know, again and again, which has been amazing to see. And more importantly, we're seeing a wider range of people attending. So as you can imagine, in the early days, the events would be very attractive to those women who are in sales and marketing roles. And we're still, obviously, we still get those ladies attending. But what we like to see is that we're getting more, we're getting technicians, we're getting project managers, we're getting managing directors, um, people who are dealing with, um, you know, the practical side of things, you know, more so. So for us, it's really exciting that our events are just increasing in, in number, which means that people are networking, getting to know each other, building some quite valuable relationships in terms of, you know, their goals are very much the same. Right. Everyone that attends, it's all about building relationships and ideally building their business. So if they're trying to get in front of a certain customer or an end user or they want to deal with a new integrator, then we can steer them in the right direction, if that makes sense. So that's really valuable. But the bottom line is that um, as an industry, if you if you look at the roundtables that are recurring um, and, and the magazines that produce those, you will see that generally it's only men that are attending those um, sort of things. And it's a real shame. You know, right. the bottom line is we do have women in the industry and we do have women in quite senior roles, but it is so male heavy there's just no doubt about it and so we still have a lot of work to do um you know ultimately we'd like to see more of our members getting involved in um roundtable events or making sure that they're speaking at certain conferences and events and you know in essence this mentoring program may well be a suitable avenue just to really make some noise and obviously have these ladies build up their confidence so much that they're going to put themselves forward for these opportunities, maybe. Um, So I hope that we will see a visible difference over the next few months. Definitely. Well, as soon as you begin that authentic relationship between someone who has the industry experience and someone who's looking looking upwards, right? Looking to people that have been in the industry and feeling encouragement from, it could be executives, it could be um, riggers who have been in the industry for 40 plus years. I mean, it could be anyone that just shows solidarity for the movement. That's when you really start to see, uh, you start to see passion, which is exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But flipping back to the UK real quick, are there any specific challenges for women in the industry that you see in the UK that feel more specific to your region compared to the States or elsewhere? 
Sure. To be honest, um, we haven't really, well, this event this week, we're, we're actually really focusing more on please talk to us about the challenges that you're facing. I think people are quite internal and they kind of keep it to themselves. So actually, when it comes to um, the, the, you know, the challenges people are facing, I think generally they might feel that perhaps they're not having the right training or they're not backed properly. Um, maybe they're not asking enough. You know, it, it could it, it's a two-way street, isn't it? So, um, but their women haven't been as open about the certain challenges that they are experiencing, and that's why I, I really wanted to encourage people: let's be open. Everything's you know kept between us at the event, and you know they can ask me things, you know, um, sort of in confidence, as it were. So we're trying to encourage people to kind of be more open about what problems they are facing. Um, I just think, in essence, all of us feel we need to see more women in the front line. So we need to see more evidence um, of what we're achieving. And to be honest, we just need to change the culture in terms of celebrating our successes. I don't think we do enough of that. Yeah. And again, the Women in AV organisation, we, we do our utmost to make sure, let's be heard, let's make some noise. So the social media engagement community that we have built, we're very proud of that way. You know, we've got over 10,000 followers now just on Twitter alone. And, that's evidence of, you know, people liking our channel and making sure that they're, you know, they are getting their, their voices out there. But there's so much more we, that we can do with it, if that makes sense. And that's another reason why this mentoring program, we feel that now's the right time. Right. After building our, after building our credibility over a period of time, we thought, right, this is the right time to do it. Um, and I'm sure you may have a question for me in terms of what's the program going to be like. I mean, in essence, the reason we've taken it on is because um, one of the members of our team has run a similar program within the broadcast industry and has found it to be hugely successful. So we're kind of in a fortunate position where we can look back on that, what, you know, that kind of success and perhaps learning curve, what they've picked up on and what they've, you know, mistakes they've made or what they've learned and really make sure that going forward, this mentoring program will be as, you know, as good as it can be. Right. Well, it's great that you have that internal support and the internal knowledge for how to set it up correctly. Um, but I, mm. I think more importantly, it's exciting to see that the community is responding well to this. And like you said, this is just the the, the first of many. Yeah, we are so we are. I can't say this enough that we're so thankful. Um, and it's been really pleasing to see the organizations that are, you know, that are backing us and obviously helping us to because we need money to basically make this happen and uh, um, and get you know and get things up and running and their support you know we've got gold silver and bronze sponsors and everyone that's involved is really behind us um, and they're very credible organisations so we are absolutely thrilled. Well, I'm really excited to see how it goes and I'll be sure to touch base with you for an update. Um, but Abby, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast, calling in and giving oh, your it's insight been a pleasure, on this. Absolute pleasure. Thank All you right. for the opportunity, and, and thank you for allowing us to talk about it. Absolutely. All right, take it easy, Abby. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Our last feature explores how AV technology is still giving hackers an easy backdoor into secure networks. Obviously, the AVIT convergence is old news. But for some reason, manufacturers, integrators, and clients still aren't well-versed in AV network security, either due to poor communication and education, or a false sense of security about AV networks. Why is this? Why is this not a standard yet? 
Our contributor, Sean Heath, digs in. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Heath. Welcome to today's Pro AV podcast on Market Scale. You know, one of the great advances I think over the last 10 years has been Pro AV. The images, the sound, the connections, just the amazing things that you can do with these advances in Pro AV technology. But I think the one thing almost none of us think about on a daily basis is well, what technology is really helping us do all this? It's computers. It's technological advancements in programming boards, in processors, in connection protocols. And that brings with it an entire catalog of dangers, of vulnerabilities that we just normally on a daily basis don't think about. You know who does think about that on a daily basis? My guest today on the podcast. He is the co-founder of ZV and vice president for hardware and operations, Steve Metzger. Steve, how are you today? Very good, Sean. Thanks for having me. Now, I have to say, you did something that I haven't seen a pro AV company do in quite a while. You consider the vulnerabilities uh, from a security standpoint of pro AV systems, you consider that so important, you put out a white paper on it. What triggered that? Well, you know, there's been in the last few years a tremendous movement of AV from proprietary closed systems onto data networks or Ethernet. Uh, AV over IP is quite a buzzword these days. Um, but with it comes a lot of challenges. Uh, in the past, security and keeping data um, from leaking out or, or uh, invaders from getting onto your network has sort of been uh, implicitly uh, built into the structure of these networks that have been closed and, uh, and difficult to access from the outside. Now that we're going into an AV over IP world, well, we have all of the things that, that would concern you uh, in, in IP networking uh, and all the vulnerabilities and exploits and things like that all of a sudden become... Uh, exposed to the AV delivery. That's why we felt the need to uh, highlight this. The average person does not think about the fact that their smart TV could be hacked. That's just not a sentence that really resonates with most people. But it, it really should, right? I mean, this this needs to become a standard uh, that everybody focuses on. Well, so I don't want to cause a panic or anything. Uh, your smart TV, yes, it's connected to the Ethernet network and it is vulnerable. Now, to date, the way we, uh, vendors have prevented that from being hackable is usually it's a pretty closed environment. When I take, say, an LG WebOS-enabled uh, television, the ecosystem is clamped down in there so that the applications that they allow to run on their TVs are only ones that they're certifying or allowing to run on that and uh, are usually not able to download uh, things that would be vulnerable. More of a concern would be preventing the content that you're putting on your AV network from leaking out necessarily. That's, that's more of what we're concerned with. So what makes an AV network particularly susceptible to something like this? Well, I, I'm not necessarily sure that an AV network is particularly susceptible. It's no more or less so than a data network. And so all of your good data networking practices need to be applied to uh, the network when you're delivering AV over it. Uh, if your network is insecure before you add AV to it, well, it's not going to be any more or less secure when you add AV to it. Um, it's just good practices across the board have to be applied. Now, for example, 
if I am now starting to distribute uh, AV content over my data network inside a corporation, I may make some number of channels available. Uh, I have to be aware of how I'm doing this. Uh, do I want to make them available to anyone? Well, if anyone in a corporation uh, ha has access to this, well, not a problem. If you want to restrict the set of people that have access to this, all of a sudden you're adding a layer of complexity on top of that, whereby the user has to be authenticated, the content should be encrypted in some fashion. Uh, all of those concerns now have to get layered onto this because it's being thrown into the general data networking pool and you don't know where it's going necessarily. Is there a clear reason or rationalization as to why this conversation is sort of lagging? I mean, is it due to the fact that AV is innovating so quickly that we don't realize these vulnerabilities just because we just haven't had time to process it? That's a big part of it. Uh, the AV over IP is relatively new, and you do have kind of a clash of cultures going on here, where your AV guys have worked in their own little walled garden for a period of time, uh, where their networks were proprietary and uh, uh, not accessible to anyone else. And now they're having to interface to the data networking guys who don't necessarily know the concerns or the requirements of these networks. So it is because these two disciplines are merging together, uh, that's where most of the confusion, if there's if it can be called confusion a lie. It's really just another uh, client on top of a data network that has its own set of requirements. They have to be considered up front. The biggest uh, thing that we encounter is there's, there's a great deal of naivete where people think, well, okay, AV is moving over IP. I can just now layer all my AV distribution over my data network because I already have invested in that. The uh, That's a little bit naive because you have capacity requirements and an AV client of that data network now has requirements that typically haven't existed in the data side of things. Data networking, you're concerned about delivering big bursts of data at very high throughputs. AV, you have to have a kind of constant load, and it's much more important that all of that data get through at a fixed delay with minimal loss in order to preserve the experience of the, the viewer. Uh, losing frames all of a sudden affects the client's ability to remain in sync, and you know you make it stuttering in a video. So it's a different sort of client to that typical data network. Do we have any examples of, say, companies or organizations that have already experienced maybe a, a, a data breach due to an AV network hack? Um, I don't personally have experience of the data breach uh, due to an AV hack. I think what has to be looked at more importantly is if a, if a uh, say a corporate client or a, a college campus or something has an agreement with a provider like uh, DirecTV to deliver some number of channels to their clients, they have to be aware that there are ways that you can distribute that content on your corporate feed or your closed local area network that may be accessible to the outside world if you're not careful about firewalling or securing or layering some sort of access control on top of that. So you as a consumer of the, the data may be uh, in violation of your content agreement with your, your content provider by having this content that could very easily leak out into the world. That's more of the secure side uh, of things that we're concerned about. And you know, if you have your own internally generated channels on your, your corporate data network, Certainly, you don't want to have the, the board meeting that's being broadcast throughout the corporation or the, you know, the company meeting leak out into the general world. So uh, those are the sorts of things that you have to be concerned about. I'm not aware of anyone 
suffered a breach by someone coming in from the outside and exploiting an AV system. Because the AV systems tend to be built on well-known networking security protocols uh, that, you know, they, they just work. Let's step over into the governing world. Um, the government really has a pressing need to be as secure as possible. There's no such thing in my mind as overkill when it comes to security of government uh, information and specifically the cavalcade of new devices that are being purchased and deployed by the government either to agents or into offices or what sort of examples would a, would a government agency be using that hopefully would direct their attention to the possible security issues? Well, so the government folks that we've spoken to, uh, certainly any sort of organized purchasing effort uh, that's agency-wide or something, they have generally had very good knowledge of security and secure practices, and they have a very high bar for what their expectation is in terms of content on their network needs to be encrypted in some form access to that content has to be controlled either by having specific hardware or a keyed viewer at the endpoints. And so that that's a, we haven't incur, uh, encountered uh, government installs that they're at the high end that haven't been aware of that. What we've seen and potentially is uh, a little troubling at the lower end is you, you may have a local office that's interested in doing something that may not have the same level of awareness of security uh, that a central purchase effort might. And so, you know, if you're doing something where you have, say, an HDMI encoder with an unsecured output that you're just broadcasting it in a local office, well, that that's your weak point in the entire system. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's different levels of experience, just like there is in the commercial world, uh, in government, all along the purchasing chain. And it usually at the lower end is where there, there potentially is an exploit and things that people have to be aware of. Now, I think we're all aware that most technology companies that create hardware have some sort of backdoor for technical support purposes. That's just, that's, it was originally common sense, and now it's, I think it's just a habit that most companies use. That, to me, would seem like a huge uh, disqualifying factor for the government. The government's not going to purchase things off the shelf. How do pro-AV companies approach that elevated need and that, that change in protocol? Is it, a, is it usually a normal or is it normally a huge shift from their day-to-day -day processes? Well, I'm not sure that... Um I necessarily agree that this is a big uh, exploitable area. I can only speak to our own experience here. Yes, we do have uh, hooks built into the product to assist in debugging uh, such that you can get information out to uh, help you show what's going on. In our case, any of that action has to be initiated from the unit coming back to us. In other words, we can't go and pull a unit and figure out what's out there. We can't come in from the outside. The user or whoever's on the customer end of things has to initiate that action, usually while touching the unit securely to say, okay, now send this information to ZV. So there's no exploit that would allow an inbound connection to uh, come and pull the unit and find things. Certainly, that's just something we do. Uh, if that's not something that everyone does, well, then that's a problem. 
let's step over into the consumer side. Um, autonomous vehicles are coming, and there have already been articles about instances where an autonomous vehicle in a test environment has been able to be hacked. Um, that to me seems like something that would be page one critical information. How is the industry approaching that? Do they see it as job one? Like that's really something that we have to get right immediately? Well, good Lord. I mean, the prospect of someone taking over from my car uh, is indeed frightening. Um, and, you know, I'm not... We don't do autonomous cars, but what I can say is, in our case, all of the systems that we do are built on proprietary uh, operating systems. They're not running general-purpose processors. There is no exploitable hole where someone could come in and load something onto our units. Uh, every application or every process that's run on uh, systems with embedded processors on them is checked and monitored, and there's nothing that that uh, we don't install that's allowed to run on these things. So it's not just security through obscurity. Uh, that certainly is one factor is that, you know, these are small systems that are, have embedded processors, but we do because we control the entire ecosystem. It's not say running a real time Linux or something where there, it, there is the possibility someone could figure out how to load an application on it. These things aren't running general purpose uh, operating systems that are exploitable in that fashion. So that's that's true in our case, uh, but boy, I, I think I'll ask my uh, my next car manufacturer those questions to make sure that no one can take over my my vehicle. I guess the best way to control the situation is make sure that you know every single aspect of every single card that is in your metaphorical deck. That would be true, <clears throat> and in our case, because of the fact that we're not running general purpose applications, we're uh, generally uh, we're not. Uh, allowing the user to touch things at, at any of the operational levels to do that. So the idea that you could come in with an exploit from that uh, avenue, you know, it, it's not impossible, of course, but it's very, very difficult in our case because these things are behind a few levels of security before you can get to them. And then once you do get to them in a secure fashion, presuming that you're done for that, it still is not a general purpose thing where you're going to compile an application and try to run it on ZD hardware. That's just not the way the stuff works. I am generally an optimistic person. I'm not very much a doom and gloom, Blade Runner, you know, dystopian future type of person when it comes to technology. So let's end this uh, conversation on a little more of an upbeat note and explain to me a few of the of the protocols or of the approaches that are already being put in place to improve the security. Now, you mentioned proprietary OS and a, and a walled garden and closed system. What other relatively, would you think, are relatively simple procedures or steps that a company or, or a customer could take to improve their confidence in their network security as far as their AV over IP? Well, first and foremost is, uh, in the case of AV over IP, is to figure out what is the domain and scope of where you want the data to go. If you're just talking about a corporate network, well, make sure the perimeter of that network is secured and there's no way for people to tunnel in and figure out uh, how to get access to your content. Uh, that's step one. That's just good networking practices. Do that. Um, then the next step would be the content itself. Within the corporate land, if it's low-value content and you're just broadcasting it, perhaps to make it easier to distribute, you're not securing the content. Well, you should make sure you know you're just broadcasting it in the clear. That's fine. Um, I wouldn't put 
mission critical information out there. The next step would be if you want to make efficient distribution by a multicast, but you want to make that accessible to uh, uh, the entire network, you have to worry about secure clients. And those are, uh, you know, they're available, but it, it requires now that it's not just a general purpose computer receiving things. You have to install something to restrict access. And then the, you know, the sort of the, the next level is to make sure that anything and everything that can touch the data on that network is access controlled so that there's no one that can come in and add themselves to a group of listeners and then somehow download keys or whatever else is required in order to, to see that. These are all good standard networking practices. Uh, there's nothing inherently more insecure about AV than there is about normal distribution of content over networks. You know, Netflix and Amazon, they're all secure. Uh, no one has problems with that. Just make sure that same level of attention is being applied when you're uh, doing AV over IP and things will work. There's always a balance between ease of distribution versus securing the content. In general, the easier it is to distribute, the less secure measures that are going to be on the content, the much more secured and clamped down things, well, then you have to worry about both ends of the content uh, being adequately secured. I should note, uh, you know, ZD has solutions for all these different uh, concerns. At the very high end, we can secure things and clamp them down end to end. For some of our more uh, distributable content, um, we are distributing over Wi-Fi, but we, we secure with HLS and it is access controlled so that uh, no one who's not an authorized listener can get content, access to that content if you don't want. Uh, and then at the low end, if you're not concerned about that, we, we can send data out clear in the multi, uh, as multicast so that it certainly is super easy for anyone on any client to access. It's just a matter of what you need, uh, but just be aware of uh, uh, all the normal concerns there. Give us a call. We can help out, figure out what your solution is. It's all based on your requirements and your budget. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with Steve Metzger is to go to zeevee.com. That's zv.com. Today, I've had the pleasure of having a conversation with the co-founder and vice president of hardware and software operations for ZV, Steve Metzger. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Anytime. All right, everyone. Time is up. Unfortunately, that is it for today's episode of the Market Scale Pro AV Show. Really enjoyed having y'all listen to this one. I think it all came together, and I'm glad we got some other voices on here, too. We got to hear from Elmer. We got to hear from Sam. We got to hear from Sean. We have a great network of people that help make these shows possible, so got to give them a shout-out. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Thanks again for everyone that participated in putting this together. And I'm looking forward to the next episode coming next Thursday. It's going to be a good one. If you'd like to find out more about the episode or listen to previous MarketScale Pro AV content, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to your favorite podcasts, articles, and video content from a variety of different industries. And make sure you leave a like and a review on today's podcast wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.